Good morning, good morning. Welcome back, LifePoint family. In case you weren't awake, you are now, right? <clears throat> good morning, everybody. Glad that you're here. Uh, guests, welcome. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Cale. I'm the teaching pastor here at the Delaware campus, and we're thrilled that you're here. Uh, Wesley mentioned, you know, it is... Uh, we're, we're filling up. God continues to grow our family, which we're super grateful for. I will share more about this in the weeks and months to come. About a week ago, we entered into a contract officially uh, to push this wall back and expand the auditorium, and then, uh, which we're thrilled about. And so we're going to expand the auditorium and then build a multi-purpose room as well for our students to use, for middle school, high school, for our kids to use on a Sunday morning. So that'll be a, a multi-purpose room. So I hate to give you that and then give you nothing more, but that's kind of what I have to share right now. As we've entered into that contract, we're beginning the architectural phase and the planning phase, and then we'll share more with you along the way and give you sort of, hey, here's, here's where we think we're headed in the coming in 2023, okay? A uh, couple of things before we jump into our series this morning. So uh, Trunktober is coming up, sort of our, we've called it Trunk or Tree, we've called it Trunktober. We keep coming up with different names, but hey, um, it's, it's a giant party, and we do it out in the parking lot, and people do trunks, and it's super fun. Someone was asking this morning, is this the thing we bring our grandkids to? Like, yes and amen. Please invite people to it. We promise a family fun, family friendly environment. So uh, if you're doing a trunk, no like giant skeletons or spiders, please, and things like that. Keep it, keep it uh, fun. And, uh, and also we'll have food. There's candy there. Everybody dresses up in costumes. It's super fun. The one thing we need to really make this happen is one, invite people and two, uh, to do a trunk. And so uh, Anne said, she was like, hey, Kia, we need 40 trunks. And last time we checked, we have two. So we're like, almost there. And uh, I said, great, thank you. So I'm going to say it again. You can even pull out your phone now. You can just stop listening to me. Go to uh, the events tab and you'll see in the events tab of our app or at lpguest.com, the register to do a trunk is right there. So if you know you're going to do a trunk, don't wait until the last week. Uh, poor Anne, as she preps that, right? Don't do that to her. So let her know now, hey, we're in make us feel better along the way. So you can do that even right now. Also, wanted to give an update, and I apologize for the delay on this. So about 10 days ago, some of us know this, some of us don't. Uh, Dean, who is our lead pastor, uh, and also teaches at our Lewis Center campus. So Dean had a bit of a health scare, so uh, went, felt some tightness in his chest after teaching at men's fraternity, and went straight across to the urgent care. Doctors didn't like exactly what they saw, so they sent him to Riverside. They did find a blockage there, and uh, put a stent in immediately and so praise God. It, it was cool. It was you know, a little scary on the one hand, but also cool. The nurse that met him there has attended our campus and is now planning to go to the Marion campus. Doctors, nurses involved, LifePoint folks. So a lot of evidence of God's hand over the situation. So I'm sorry I didn't give an update on that last Sunday, but as I got to talk with him this week a number of times, he's doing great. The doctors expect a full recovery. So uh, thanks. I know that's news to some of us. And then for others of us, thank you for praying for Dean uh, along the way. We're super grateful that he's doing well. All right. Well, we've been in a series for five weeks. This is week five that we're calling Asking for a Friend, and we've been going through 1 Corinthians 7. It has not been a light series. It's been very heavy. The topics that we're dealing with have been heavy. Uh, that will continue this morning as we close out the series, but I hope and I believe that it's been good. It's been good for us to wrestle through these things, to submit ourselves to the Word of God, and to see really hopefully the gospel, and then say, hey, let's make our decisions for our life in light of the gospel, in light of God's love for us. And this morning, so we've gone through conflict in the church. We've gone through sexual immorality 
and sex outside of marriage and then sex inside of marriage and God's design for that and his intention. We've gone through singleness, right, and seasons of singleness. Last week, that was uh, last week's message was what does God want to do with seasons of singleness in our lives? This morning, we're going to look at the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. It's sort of a Q&A session where they've written to him and asked him a bunch of questions and then he's just sort of answering those questions one by one. This morning, we're going to start in verse 10 and we're going to see him addressing marriage once again, but specifically some questions about divorce and remarriage and uh, widows and things like that. And so um, he's speaking to that. And I want to mention a couple of things up front. Before we read the passage, this morning is going to be, like every other morning, it's going to be personal for some of us. Very personal. Uh, We have a number of folks here who have been divorced, widowed, remarried, considering remarriage. And I think what the Apostle Paul says here has the potential to be super helpful. It also has the potential to be really hard and difficult. And it has the potential to be both of those things simultaneously. Those things aren't mutually exclusive. Sometimes it's difficult to hear and sometimes it's the thing that we need to hear. I think for some of us, we will be encouraged, uh, we'll be strengthened Uh, unashamed. I think for some of us, we'll feel some freedom in areas where we've maybe not known what to do. And for others of us, we'll feel conviction and maybe some sense of, I need to repent about past decisions or present decisions. I don't know. Here's what I want to say. I don't know everyone's situation. I know some of our situations. I am aware that situations are complex and these things are complex and there are long stories and sometimes we're entering into the middle of those stories or the end of those stories. So I want to say this and I'll say it several times today. If the things you hear this morning, you're confused or hurt or I'm not sure what to do with this, please reach out. In a single message, I will not be able, nor should I try to address every single situation. And what about this? And what about this? I'm going to present what the Apostle Paul says, try to address some of those things. But if at the end of the day, you're like, hey, I just need to talk with someone, please, we welcome that. And many of these things, I think, require deeper and longer conversation. So please reach out to me or to one of our pastors here, and let's begin a longer conversation there. All right? And then secondly, I'll say this, um, and this gets heavy pretty quick, right? But I'm going to address abuse here for a moment because the Apostle Paul doesn't specifically address this, but I want to make sure we're super clear. Um, If you believe that you're in an abusive situation, abusive marriage or just an abusive situation, period, and you hear some of these things, it's possible, I think, to hear some of these things. and, And what seems to have happened sometimes is people hear like, well, I should be silent about that or just suffer silently. I don't think anyone should suffer silently or alone. Right? That's what I know about that. Nobody should be suffering silently or alone. So please, if you believe you're in an abusive situation, an abusive marriage, reach out to us. That's step one is please reach out so that we can come in and as the church, let's help in that situation lead toward health and healing and freedom. All right? With all that said, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10. To the married, the Apostle Paul says, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. You would say, why does Paul give that parenthetical statement there? What he's saying is here, he's like, guys, this isn't from me. This is just straight from Jesus. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and Mark 10 and in Luke 16 and elsewhere. He says, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, so he's advocating for marriage and for staying together And we'll talk about some of the exceptional cases to that. But he's advocating, hey, stay together. But I want to ask the question, why is that? 
Because I think sometimes we almost take for granted if we've been in the church for a while, if you've grown up sort of in a Christian background, sometimes we just take for granted statements like God hates divorce or God is for marriage. But I want to ask why? We have got to get to the whys, the heart behind what the Lord says. Why does God hate divorce? Why does God hate seeing that torn asunder and a family torn asunder? Why does God root for and advocate for marriages and for marriages to be reconciled and people to stay even when it's hard? Why doesn't God just say, hey, if you're unhappy, I mean, you deserve to be happy, go find someone else that will make you happy. Why does he say these things? Jesus actually addresses this in Matthew 19, all right? You don't have to turn there. Let me, let me summarize it for you. If you want to, you're certainly welcome to. But Matthew 19, some of the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him, Jesus, teacher, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Which, by the way, if you note something, every time people are asking Jesus about divorce, they're asking if a man can divorce his wife, and then the Apostle Paul addresses both men and women. You're like, why the difference? Because in Jewish culture, right, at that time, only a man can initiate divorce proceedings. In Greco-Roman culture, either spouse could initiate divorce proceedings. So the Apostle Paul is speaking specifically to their context while Jesus is speaking to the Jewish context. And they come to him and they say, Jesus, can we divorce our wives for any reason that we want? And why are the Pharisees asking this? Because as almost always, they're not actually interested in the answer as much as they're interested in trying to trap Jesus. There are two schools of thought that had sprung up in first century Jewish culture around a passage from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24.1 where what's laid out is husbands, if you divorce your wives, you give them a certificate of divorce, which was basically a way of protecting the wife to say, hey, this was not for marital unfaithfulness and it keeps her honor intact. But the two schools of thought that have sprung up was, but that passage said, if a husband finds something indecent in his wife. And there were two rabbis, Hillel and Shammai, right? So the rabbi Hillel school of thought was very broad interpretation. Indecent means anything. I wish I were making this up, but one of the examples we have from ancient literature is if she burned the food. That's indecent, right? You divorce her and send her away. That's how ridiculous it had gotten. And on the Shammai school was a very literal conservative interpretation was that indecent only means marital unfaithfulness, only adultery. And so they come to Jesus hoping to get him in hot water with one of those sides. There's no winning here, they think. It's so one of the few times Jesus actually answers very directly, and he says, no, it's, he sides with the Shammai school and says it's a very uh, uh, limited interpretation here. It's marital infidelity only. But then he goes on to give a deeper meaning. I said this in a sermon about a year ago, and I still believe it's very true. They ask him for reasons for divorce, and he gives them a better vision of marriage. He says, hey, why is this? What is this really about? And he says, he goes on to quote from Genesis 2, where he says, this was not the way it was from the beginning. He says he created the male and female. And then he goes on to quote Genesis 2, 24, that he says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Jesus looks at them and says, do you guys know why Moses said that in Deuteronomy 24, 1? He says, because you guys' hearts were so hard. 
You were divorcing people anyway. So Moses gave that as a concession, a way to protect the wives so they weren't thrown out of their homes with no prospects for the future. He says, but that's not the way it was meant to be. That was basically a concession to deal with your hardness of heart. He says, what was the original design is that God, two people, a man and a woman would come together and make a lifelong promise or a lifelong covenant to one another and God would bring them together in oneness. And so he says, that's why you don't break apart the oneness. Don't let man separate something that God has made one. And then in Ephesians 5, Paul goes on to say, hey, this oneness, it's actually a reflection of the gospel itself. Paul says, guys, the husband and wife relationship, and when they come together and they become one, he says, that's actually a reflection of Jesus and the church. Jesus serves as the husband and the church serves as the bride. And the way that a husband and wife choose to love one another, even when it's hard, especially when it's hard, to stay even when it's difficult, to forgive and love even when it's undeserved. He says that's Christ-like. Why do we do that? Because that's what Jesus did for us. Because of the heart of the gospel is a father loving us when we least deserved it. And when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ. Ephesians 2. Because God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5. And so we choose to forgive one another and we choose to love one another, including in our marriages, because that's what Jesus did for us. Some of us right now, we're marriages on thin ice. I know that. I'm aware of that. That some of us right now are questioning, man, I'm unhappy. Should I just leave and try to find this somewhere else? Try to find happiness somewhere else? Church, the gospel equips us with the resources to say, I can, I can choose to love and forgive even when it's undeserved. Why? Because that's what Jesus Christ did for me. And no, it's not easy. It's incredibly hard. And yes, there are some exceptional cases, which we'll talk about. But generally speaking, God says, hey, stay together. Choose to love one another through the hard times, through the difficult times, when it's hard, when you're angry. But that requires receiving the grace of God that we might then extend it to others. Now, why does Paul say, having said that, why does Paul say this part about, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, right? Two things, right? Two things. One, I think Paul is recognizing that we live in a broken world and that sometimes this is going to happen. Sometimes divorce happens. We don't want it to. I've talked with many people who have been through divorce and like, Kayla, it was awful. And I didn't want it to happen. And sometimes it does. And so Jesus is, or Paul is basically saying, well, what then? <laughs> now Jesus says, right, Matthew 19 and Matthew 5, he says, except for sexual immorality, so let me state this out loud, right? Adultery, marital unfaithfulness can kill a covenant. Marital unfaithfulness can kill the covenant. Anyone who's experienced adultery in marriage, you don't need me to tell you how painful that is, how hard that can be, what that does to a marriage. But I'll also say this, while adultery can kill a marriage, it doesn't have to. Praise God, forgiveness and reconciliation are possible. Some of the folks in this church, we have marriages in this church that have adultery in the past and today they are still intact and some even thriving, stronger because forgiveness and reconciliation through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, 
They learned how to forgive. The person who had adultery committed against them was able to forgive through the grace that they received from Jesus, able to extend it to someone who didn't deserve it and to heal because of the power of Christ. The person who committed adultery was able to be forgiven knowing, hey, Christ forgives. That's paid for at the cross and that person can change. If we don't believe people can change, even at their worst, what gospel is it that we preach? The gospel we preach is Jesus comes and saves us at our worst and he's able to transform a life. And at the same time, that's not always the case. Particularly if the offense is repeated and it's unrepentant, it can kill the covenant. And in that case, right, a marriage can be broken apart and remarriage is an option on the table. But that's not specifically what Paul is addressing here. And I want to try to understand, get us to understand what Paul is saying here. Paul says, generally speaking, for the Christian, if you divorce your spouse, he says, remain unmarried and seek for reconciliation. And I just want to pause and sit in that for a moment. Guys, I know this is hard. All right? I'm fully aware of that. Some of us are sitting here right now, and maybe you're in this situation. You're like, Kale, are you saying that God might desire for me to reconcile with my former spouse? The answer to that is possibly. <laughs> I don't know your situation, and there's a million things. That's why I'm asking for conversations, okay? There's a million things that could change that. Your spouse, I know folks who are like, I wanted to reconcile. And my spouse left me, and then they went and got married to someone else. Reconciliation's not possible there. Paul addresses abandonment here in a bit. Abuse, marital unfaithfulness, unrepentance, and that. There's a lot of things that can change and affect a situation. And at the same time, this is where truth and grace, right, come together. I do want us to, to challenge us to consider what the Apostle Paul is saying here. That generally speaking, that reconciliation is the hope and that it's possible. Because I think we tend to think what our culture thinks, and that is, man, if it's broken apart, if she changed, if he changed, if we're different people now, if the papers are finalized, there's no way this could possibly be repaired. And so let's just move on. I want to share with you a story. Like, is this possible? Is, are we just making stuff up? So Ed Travers, right? Ed Travers is our Westerville teaching pastor. And when I was reading this, I just remembered a story he told me about his own family. And so I texted him this week. I said, hey, man, would you share with me again what happened in your family? And he said, Kale, this is what he texted me. He says, my mom was raised to know Jesus and made a commitment early. She married my dad and became Catholic for him. 18 years and six kids later, they got divorced. All right? And, and here's my sense, just in talking with Ed, knowing it, I don't think either one of them were really walking with Jesus, right? I think they were like, hey, we go on Easter and Christmas, but outside of that, I don't think faith and a, and a pursuit of Christ was really central to the marriage or the family. So they get divorced 18 years and six kids later. Two years later, my grandfather started a Bible study that all of us went to. My mom recommitted her life to Christ. My dad, who had been dating quite a bit, and ended up dating someone seriously, became a Christ follower. Now, before I share the rest of the story, I want to pause right there, because I believe that those two sentences are the most important part of the story. Everything that happens after this is predicated on two people giving their lives to Jesus. 
One of my, honestly, one of my greatest fears this morning is that as we talk through this, some of us are listening and all you hear are rules and regulations and I should have done this and I shouldn't have done that and sort of biblical advice. And we've said this before, the gospel isn't good advice, it's good news. And the stuff that we do and that we don't do only makes sense when it's centered on and predicated on a relationship with Christ. So for some of us, I know you're coming out of extremely just broken situations and like, I'm not sure what I was supposed to do and you're looking back over 20 years. The first thing that I would want to talk with you about is, do you know Jesus, your Savior? Do you know that God so loved you that he sent his only son? And the son lived a perfect life in your place and in mine. And Jesus went to the cross and his blood was shed and his body was broken to pay for all of our sin, past, present, and future. And then on the third day, God raised him from the grave that you might have new life with him. Do you know that? Have you been washed? Have you joyfully received him into your life as your Lord and Savior? Because a lot of other things just naturally change, or should I say supernaturally change, when that relationship starts. That's the most, if you hear nothing else today, I hope you hear that. The gospel, Jesus came for you. Give your life to him. Let's start there. Because that's what happened here. They give their lives to Christ. And so the situation is right. Mom recommits her life to Christ. Dad gives his life to Christ while seriously dating something else. Divorce papers are already finalized. And then this happened. He said he broke up with his girlfriend and started dating my mom. They were married four years after their original divorce. And they, married, they were married for 15 more years until his dad passed away. And Ed shared this. He said, and this is part of the, the circumstances right through the word and the Holy Spirit and prayer. He said, I had prayed that God would put them back together at the start of their first breakup. And so it was an answer to prayer for sure. Ed shared, he said, there is no way to quantify the spiritual impact that had on me. I'm guessing I would not be doing what I'm doing now without God showing me what he's capable of. Here's the point of the story, okay? The point of the story is not to shame any of us that say, well, that, my story didn't work out that way. That's not the point. I know not every situation is like this. I know people's stories are different. Why I tell you the story is to stretch our imagination here and to submit us to the word of God and say, hey, the Apostle Paul seems to say, no, this is not only possible, but desirable. That reconciliation is possible but desirable. And what's impossible? We say, that's not possible. He changed him. He's a different person. She changed him. She's a different person. It's too broken. Maybe. Or maybe it is possible with God. That's what Jesus said, right? With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so I want us to at least stretch our imaginations a bit and say, hey, is that what God desires for you? If you're in that situation right now going, Kill, is that what the Lord desires? That's why I say, reach out. Let's have a conversation, but at least entertain what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And saying, possibly, we need to go back to the table and say, is reconciliation possible? Which is a long process. And you will need help. And you will need community. But the Apostle Paul says, not only is it possible, but it's desirable. And what we cannot do on our own. And this goes for marriage, divorce, remarriage, and life as a believer. What we cannot do on our own, Jesus can do in and through us. And Jesus specializes, majors, in taking broken situations and redeeming them and bringing something beautiful out of that which is broken. And again, I know not everyone's situation is the same. So please hear my heart in that. 
but there are situations in which people divorce. And if you get into this situation and you're saying, hey, there was not marital infidelity here, there wasn't abandonment, there wasn't abuse, like we changed, it was irreconcilable differences, and you're both saying you're believers, that's what the Apostle Paul, I think, is talking about here, at the very least, of saying, hey, you either remain unmarried or you seek for reconciliation. Go and see if there can be reconciliation. Now, he goes on in verse 12, and he says this, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord, and that is he's saying, hey, Jesus didn't say anything about this specifically, but I'm giving to you what I think is an apostle, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. What is Paul talking about? Paul's addressing a phenomenon that's going on across the ancient world right now. So they live in a pre-Christian culture. And lots of couples got married before anybody knew about Jesus. And then in comes the gospel and a lot of spouses are giving their lives to Jesus and their spouse, the other spouse isn't a believer. And so the question that's arising is, man, should I just divorce him or divorce her because they don't love Jesus? Should, I mean, wouldn't that be easier? I could go find someone who does love Jesus and then, right, that would be a lot better match. And the Apostle Paul is addressing that. So let me say this, right? If you're here and you're widowed or a widower, right? And you're saying, hey, I'm seeking for remarriage. The Apostle Paul addresses that later in verse 39, right? Where he says, hey, you have the option to get remarried only in the Lord. So if you're seeking for remarriage in that case, or you're like, hey, I'm just not married yet. And I'm thinking about possible spouses. The Apostle Paul would say, only in the Lord, find someone who loves Jesus so that you can run after Jesus together. But in this particular case where he's saying, hey, you guys were already married. What the Apostle Paul is saying is, no, don't leave your spouse simply because they don't love Jesus. You became a Christian and they're not. And the temptation is saying, I mean, this is going to be really hard. And I think the Apostle Paul knows that. He's like, yes, it will be hard. Yes, it will lead to conflict sometimes. They don't come to church with me. They don't get involved. I have to, I take the kids and this person stays home. I know it's hard. And yet the Apostle Paul, I think, is pointing at two things. One, he's saying, please see the bigger picture. See the bigger picture of the gospel impact here. He says, if the gospel comes into a society and the net effect of that is a bunch of marriages are torn apart because everybody who gives their life to Jesus immediately leaves their spouse, I think Paul's, think about the, witness, the impact on the witness of the gospel that would have. Hey, what's this new religion? I don't know, something about Jesus, but everyone who's given their life to Jesus immediately divorces their spouse and leaves their family. Jesus say, uh, Paul's saying, hey, Jesus is not about tearing families apart. He's about bringing reconciliation, if at all possible. And then I think the Apostle Paul is also saying, secondly, spouse who's given your life to Jesus and your spouse doesn't love Jesus, think about what spiritual impact you might have on your spouse and on your family over the long haul. That's what he goes on to say in verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. That's a, honestly, it's a little bit of a confusing statement and scholars sort of debate it. Like, what does that exactly mean? Clearly, the Apostle Paul is not saying because he says it in so many other places, hey, your spouse is saved because you're saved. I don't think he's saying that. That requires a personal relationship with Christ. I don't think he's saying your children are saved simply because you're saved. I do think he is saying, they, one commentator put it this way, they come into contact with holiness because of their contact with you. They get a front row picture of the gospel and there's an influence in that family spiritually because you decided to stay. 
Now he goes on in verse 15. Notice how balanced Paul is here, back and forth. He's a pastor addressing people in real situations. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother who is, or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Apostle Paul is saying again, no, it's not that you are definitely going to save your spouse. You don't know that for sure. That's, that's between them and the Lord. And if that person abandons you, looks at you and says, hey, I'm leaving. Sometimes there's nothing you can do. And he says, you're called to peace. I'll address that here in a moment. Let me come back to this idea of, of choosing to stay even when your spouse says, yeah, but I'm not a believer and I'm not, I don't think you and I are heading in the same direction. I, when I was reading this, I thought of Lee Strobel. I just briefly remembered uh, reading the introduction to Lee Strobel's the, the Case for Christ. He's sort of famous within Christian circles and uh, he was an atheist in his 20s and he was a journalist. Um, and, uh, and he decided to re-examine the evidence for Christianity, which led to his conversion, which led to him becoming a pastor, and which led to him writing multiple books that have, have had an enormous impact on people's lives. And you know what's amazing is a lot of that can be traced back to this moment of, hey, what caused him to re-examine the faith? What caused an atheist to re-examine the claims for Christianity? Do you know what it was? His wife. His wife, when they got married, they were not believers. And he says this in the introduction. He says, what was the reason? It was my wife. Leslie stunned me in the autumn of 1979 by announcing that she had become a Christian. I rolled my eyes and braced for the worst. I, I like hearing, right, his, what his assumption of what was going to happen to his wife now that she believed, uh, loved Jesus. Like, what's this going to do to her? And he says, I braced for the worst, feeling like the victim of a bait-and-switch scam. I had married one Leslie, the fun Leslie, the carefree Leslie, the risk-taking Leslie. And now I feared she was going to turn into some sort of sexually repressed prude who would trade our upwardly mobile lifestyle for all-night prayer vigils and volunteer work in grimy soup kitchens. That was his vision of this is where our marriage is headed. Instead, I was pleasantly surprised, even fascinated, by the fundamental changes in her character, her integrity and her personal confidence. Eventually, I wanted to get to the bottom of what was prompting these subtle but significant shifts in my wife's attitudes. So I launched an all-out investigation into the facts surrounding the case for Christianity, which led to his conversion, which led then to the ministry that God has given him and them. And a good bit of that can be traced back to the re the, this decision of a wife to stay to say, hey, the decision of a spouse to say, I've become a believer, but my spouse isn't yet a believer. And that creates some conflict and tension. And yet, because she chose to love him and just be a consistent gospel influence in his life, as Jesus changed her, he noticed. And he began to ask questions, why? I recognize again, guys, it doesn't always work out that way. I wish it did. But that's why the apostle Paul then in verse 15 says, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. And most commentators, if you're wondering, Kale, does that mean that if my spouse abandons me that I can get remarried, right? Because Jesus says if it's not for sexual immorality, then it's adultery if you go and you marry someone else. Most commentators, in my, I may be wrong on this, right? Most commentators, and I agree, seem to, say, seem to indicate yes. 
that if your spouse should abandon you and say, I'm leaving, and there's nothing you can do to hold together the marriage, that you have marriage, uh, remarriage open as an option. But here's one word of, of encouragement or wisdom I would offer on that. Take the time to wait, to seek counsel from others, and to pray through. If you rush into the next decision, right, take time to wait and pray. And if you sense, man, I hope this person's going to change, and they'll turn their heart around, and Jesus will save them, and there could be reconciliation. Praise God. But once again, those are things where reach out. These, com- these situations are hard and complex, and you need to seek godly wisdom and counsel from people around you, and we would love to have those conversations. Now, having said all of that, let me close by coming back to what I said earlier, right? Because for some of us, as we read just out loud what the Apostle Paul says, I am aware that that brings up different emotions for many of us. For some of us, we sit and we hear it and say, and praise God, amen. For others of us, we sit, and because our marriages are so difficult, it's challenging to hear the Apostle Paul say, hey, stay. Don't unwind what God has made one. For some of us, because we've been through divorce or remarriage, we, here's the thing. Some of us this morning, it's guidance, it's encouragement, maybe even some freedom. I want to say to some of us, some of us, you've been shamed in some ways. There were things that you didn't do, right? You're like, I tried everything to hold this together and it still fell apart and the spouse abandoned me and then other people came in and were like, well, you know, divorce is wrong. And so you got shamed because of that. that you shouldn't feel ashamed of that. You should hear the encouragement and the grace of Jesus over your life. For others of us, there is conviction, maybe even confusion, maybe repentance about Kale. I got divorced and maybe I shouldn't have. Or I got remarried and maybe I shouldn't have. What do I do now? Is there hope for this? I would love to just share with you and land us where we sort of started this plane on 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11. This question of is there hope for broken situations? The answer is absolutely yes because of Jesus. I know a couple here who they said, can we started our marriage, both of us committing adultery against our previous spouses and then stepped into this marriage. And as I talked with them, they basically said, we know we shouldn't have. And you know what? We can't undo what we've done, but we can repent of it. We can draw a line in the sand and we can commit to moving forward in the most godly way possible. Praise God and amen. Because you know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians six eleven. Right before that, he lists out these sins, sinful patterns in our lives that he says, man, they keep us out of the kingdom of God. And one of those is adultery. He says, and then he says this in verse 11, such were some of you. He's looking at the Corinthian church and saying, hey guys, marriages, some of your marriages are broken. Some of you committed adultery. Some of you maybe feel an immense amount of guilt and shame over that. And then he says this, but you were washed. You were sanctified. And you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Listen to me. If you hear nothing else this morning, I want you to hear this. The gospel is not a pat on the back for people who got everything right. The gospel is not, hey, Jesus loves good people who don't make mistakes. The gospel is, in spite of the fact that we're sinful and fall miserably short of the standard God has set, God so loved us that he sent Jesus who met that standard for us and went to the cross in your place and in mine. The gospel is for broken people. 
for broken places, for broken situations, and to bring redemption and healing. Jesus came for you and for me. And it does require repentance on our part. When we come to that moment and we look at our lives and we say, Lord, there is such a temptation, whether it's this or anything else, there is such a temptation when faced with our own sinfulness that we got basically two options. I can try to justify myself. Well, here's why I did what I did. And, and well, you know what? It wasn't as bad as this person or it was really all their fault. Or we can cast ourselves on the mercy of Jesus and be justified by him. We sing that old song, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Here's my encouragement to you, my plea for you this morning. If you're looking over your life and there's brokenness, there's hurt, and some of us, man, it's just stuff done to us. And I want you to know, and the gospel has the power to heal. Jesus can enter that story and bring healing. And some of us were looking back saying, man, these are things I've done. It's repentance, it's humility, and it's casting yourself at the foot of the cross, plunging yourself beneath that flood and coming out saying, I've lost all my guilty stains. I was washed. I was sanctified and I was justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. And if you've never been washed, if you've never plunged yourself beneath that flood, do it today. Put your faith and your hope in Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray together. Father, we have covered a lot of ground in this series. Over five weeks, we have dealt with conflict. God, we've looked at the Apostle Paul's words on singleness, on marriage, on sex, on sexual immorality, on divorce, on remarriage. And God, I pray that for everyone here, Lord, that by the power of the Spirit, you would take your word and you would bring it to each one of us as we need to hear it. God, some of us just need healing. Some of us need hope. All of us need hope, God. Some of us need to repent. Some of us need to forgive. Some of us, Father, need to be reconciled and restored. God, those are things only you can do. We cannot do that on our own. The gospel is not good advice on all the things that we should do. It's the good news that, Jesus, you did these things in our place. You are our perfect sacrifice. And you've made us right with God. You've taken all our guilty stains on yourself. Lord, may all of us this morning start there. Our relationship in you, knowing who we are, that we are loved, beloved son and daughter, and then approach our lives and the decisions we need to make through that lens. God, give us the humility to do it, the courage to do it, even when it flies in the face of our own sometimes desires or what people around us are saying. Let us be deeply shaped by your grace, by your love, by your truth, and by your word. I want to give you a moment just to pray. 
Like I said, we've covered a lot of ground. And so maybe it's from this week, maybe it's from the past few weeks. Will you take a moment and just pray and respond to the Lord and submit yourself to his love, to his truth, and to his word? Father, I pray specifically, and if this is you, as we continue to pray, you, you pray with me. If there are any here and you say, I've never been plunged beneath that flood, never received the grace of God into my life personally, I want to give you an opportunity right now to do that. You can pray with me. You can pray in your own words. If you understand the gospel today, that Christ came and died and rose again, that you might be saved and have new life in him. And pray, Father, today I ask for the forgiveness of my sin and I place my faith in Jesus and Jesus alone, my rock and my salvation. Jesus, will you wash me clean? And will you help me to walk with you from this day forth till you call me home? Lord, we love you, and it's in your name we pray all these things. Amen.